piece for it, uh, which is basically about freak folk, you know, what it, you know, um, and uh, it was reprinted in Perfect Sound Forever, and one of the things I go into is the early folk surge, 1949 to 1952, uh, which is my first actual um, contact with folk music, like the, the Lavender Blue uh, was a song sung by Burl Eyes for the Disney movie So Dear to My Heart in 1949, and it charted, and the Weavers um, had a hit with Iron Goodnight in 1950, and then there was a little folk boom, like a bunch of faux folk songs, like um, um, Oh, Ghost Riders in the Sky, uh, Cry of the Wild Goose, um, Guy Mitchell songs like like you know truly truly fair uh, and uh, an occasional folk song treated, you know done in 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 fifties pop style and uh, then when um, uh, the Weavers got blacklisted by the you know House of Americans Committee uh, everyone dropped folk music like a hot potato and uh, so anyway that was my first contact with folk music was it was during the brief um, you know. Top, you know, chart, charting uh, songs, period, you know, 49 to 52. And when I met these um, three bohos in October of 56, uh, they introduced me to folk music proper. Um, but um, there wasn't any really folk music scene, you know, like like in 57, we started a folk music club at the university, of which which had maybe about like nine members, you know. But um, uh, it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't a, ma- a massive movement by any means. Were, were you were you a, a rock and roll fan the, the first time around too? Uh, yeah, totally. Um, well, it really hit me strong by March of on '56 when I first heard Little Richard and Fats Domino and Chuck and, and Chuck Berry. It completely you know changed everything. And Chuck Berry, uh, uh, well, they're they, they my three big heroes, especially Little Richard and and Fats Domino. It, it sounds you know if if you had. Um initially picked up uh, the fiddle as, as an instrument in high school that you'd kind of chosen that as your as your path. Well, actually, um, I started playing violin at the age of 10. Uh, Milwaukee uh, offered instrument lessons to kids, which are basically group lessons, like, you know, 15 kids learning once from a teacher. And the lessons were a total agony. I won't go into, uh, I won't go into the details. And I, I taught my folks to let me quit finally. And um, then uh, we, we had course in high school, in seventh and eighth grade. And I had to sing in the, in, in, you know, the course, in the seventh and eighth grade course. So I started playing violin and joined the junior orchestra. And, and as a freshman, I was joined the senior orchestra because I was in high school now. So I, I was in you know, two years of junior orchestra and four years of senior orchestra. But, you know, we, we played, you know, <laughs> high school orchestra type hits. We did play the um, Brandenburg Concerto in G in 11th grade. That was cool. Yeah. And so Leroy Anderson thing with Leroy Anderson is great. Like, like one of kind of a quasi forgotten pop instrumental, um, uh, not a song. He wrote mostly instrumentals. Uh, he's known for like Blue Tango, which is a big hit. Um, the syncopated clock, you know. Anyway, so my 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 violin playing was totally not folk uh, oriented. I wasn't really aware of. I was barely aware of fiddle playing, you know. 
until until you uh, until you sort of happened across these bohemians and realized that there was a, a folk scene happening or at least you know some 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 folk music in the uh, in the popular culture yeah and i i heard uh, fiddling in bluegrass you know like like besides like my friend rob hunter not, not the grateful dead rob hunter the other guy another rob hunter uh introduced me to bluegrass as well as um, folk music in in 56 and i heard you know contemporary fiddle, fiddlers then. and then I heard the New Orleans City Ramblers in 58 and realized that there was this stuff that came before bluegrass that was actually more interesting, I thought. And then in 59, I, for the first time, heard the Smith Anthology, and that was, you know, that was the big game changer of all, of course. Were you, you know, aside from, um, I mean, how 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 seriously were you were you uh, were you playing music uh, prior to to moving to New York? Um, well, um, pretty seriously. Although I didn't I didn't work hard at it, but it was um, well. As soon as I started playing banjo in in, in the summer of '58, um, everything in my life basically got better. <laughs> uh, it just you know sort of changed me and changed, you know, what, what the world thought of me. And, but, uh, um, it was definitely, um, a, <laughs> a good path to follow. What, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm curious as to how that happened. You know, what sort of, what, what kind of context were you, were you playing banjo in that, uh, that, that dramatically improved your life? Oh, just, um, Bernard Johnson, Bernard Porter Johnson, and his wife uh, Karen, they did a show at, at, at the university, and I was going to say, well, why, why don't you play, you know, <laughs> the two banjo tunes, you know, at the show, you know, and uh, and I did, and uh, people people really liked it, and um, all of a sudden these you know cute girls were coming up to me and saying hi, <laughs> and that was that, that was a real switch. So, you know, we're, we're talking about these these doors that were opened up to you. You know, it sounds like pretty instantly when you really started seriously playing an instrument. Did those were those opened up to you as well? You know, as as soon as you um, as soon as you moved to New York, did you find that you know just just being a, a player of music, it was kind of, it was easier to to sort of meet people and ingrace your you know ingratiate yourself into the scene in the city. Totally, yeah. I mean, there was a. Imagine there was a huge scene in New York. Uh, I mean, there were like, you know, thousands of players <laughs> as opposed to, um, you know, the single digits in Milwaukee, you know. Not to mention the fact that so many of them were extremely good. We, you know, so, you know, so at, at least in, uh, at least in, in retrospect and when, you know, when we, when we, uh, watch movies and, and read books about the era it seems like it seems like the you know it was a, it was a early 60s was a little bit more of at least that second go around for 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 folk music but there was a there was already a there was already a fairly active uh, folk scene in new york city at the time uh, well the active folk scene you know goes back to the 40s uh when, you know like pete seeger and lead belly and uh woody guthrie living in the same house you know on on on, on east End Street, the lower east side um, and, uh, the Washington Square, uh, did you ever read, uh, Ben Ronk's, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, like, like he describes, 
uh, the early New York folk scene uh, as impeccably as any human being will ever do in history. You know, like, like uh, I mean, he was actually there, like, like, like in, in the late 40s. Um, and um, the big game changer was probably Tom Paley. Um, he was the one that brought uh, advanced musical chops to the scene, you know, like prior to him, except for the, you know, the old blues guys, um, Pete Seeger was about as um, good a player technically as was around, you know. But um, Tom Paley raised the uh, the bar um, on banjo and, and guitar, and suddenly all the young people had this, you know, were emulating that, you know. So... Um, Besides the fact that you know the scene was around since the '40s, uh, the scene started to get like more technically proficient as of the late '40s, and by the early '50s, there were you know like like you know, triple digits of people playing on a at a very high technical level. It's interesting because you know I, 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 obviously Seeger was was you know a, a good banjo player, but you know certainly when when I you know I think about. Uh, Woody Guthrie, for example, I I don't know that his his guitar chops were were all that great. I mean, how how essential what was it that you had these really great musicians playing this music? It seems like there was at least you know at least some of the at least some of the folks who had some success out there weren't uh, weren't you know weren't masters of their instrument. Well, uh, none of the um, you know popular uh, like 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 the Kingston Trio guys like like certainly weren't great technicians. Uh, nor were you know the brothers or um, some of the early groups had like I think the uh, Limelighters I think uh, Eric Darling was them and he could he could play good um, and uh, the Chad Mitchell trio originally had uh, um, Jim McGuinn who changed his name to Roger as their you know he was their hmm. player so that you know like 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 uh, um good technical players sort of like insinuated their way into, um, you know, top 40 folk music. That was a different scene than the people playing old timey, you know, the, you know like, like, like the people trying to play the spentology stuff were kind of like, like a different crowd than the, um, you know, more commercial guys. Although there was a, you know, a bit of crossover here and there. But not much. When 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 we talk about that sort of you know that that next wave the kind of the the revival of, of folk music, um, when when do you pin that down to roughly time wise? Uh, well, it was um, a shift happened. Uh, I mean, on the pop level, of course, it was the Kingston Trio in 1958, hmm. but. Um, uh, the folk scene was basically a constantly growing phenomenon um, since, well, it, it probably started taking off more. And, well, when I got to New York in 59, uh, Esquire magazine had an article on, on bluegrass. And they actually had um, uh, one of their, you know, artsy illustrators do this painting of flattened scrubs with the Martha flower banner in the back back of them, you know, 
And um, it was the first time that um, um, oh, bluegrass musicians were depicted in an artistic way. I mean, uh, country music people were not considered uh, oh, high art. High art. Yeah. 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 But suddenly, um, bluegrass was given the given the you know. Considered high art suddenly, you know, uh, and that was '59, and um, well, more and more people just started playing, and then, uh, of course, when when, when Dylan uh, came along, um, that uh, increased like 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 hardly anyone wrote songs, like everyone was basically doing you know folk songs, and and um. I mean, the only I'm Pete Seeger writing songs. Um, Tom Paxton wrote, wrote, wrote some songs, but it just wasn't um, that big a thing until Dylan came along, and suddenly um, the idea that well, you're doing this stuff and then you write your own songs was sort of like uh, um, the way the young people were seeing the scene, just like when when the Beatles came along, all the you know, young rock and roll. Oh, okay, you have a group and you write songs and you perform them with a group. You know, I mean, yeah. Um, Buddy Holly was a rock and roller doing his own songs. So was Chuck Berry. So was Ray Charles. Um, and you know, Fats Domino. Although Fats Domino collaborated with Richard, collaborated. Um, but um, the idea that uh, well, anyway, that, that that was a big game changer when people started considering that. Uh, being a songwriter was was part of the package. Was you know was was there was there a um, a push to kind of to, to to separate yourselves and you know your your music from this this scene that had been around since since the forties to 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 do something different to to modernize it or update it. Well, um, my my original take was was try to sound, try to sound like pre nineteen thirty nine like no. Don't don't do anything post nineteen thirty nine was my was my idea. Like I I believed, as it turned out, thousands of other kids also believed that there was this old amazing shit that would die out and disappear unless they mm-hmm. personally, um, you know, carried it forward. And uh, like my feeling back in the fifties was like like if I don't do this, it will die. You know, and I mean it. <laughs> It would have got. It would have flourished very nicely without my help at all, because, like I say, thousands of other kids had the same impulse, you know. And uh, the, the big change with me was, like, I consider rock and roll and folk music these kind of like never the twain shall meet entities artistically. And the first time I heard Bob Dylan in 1961, his phrasing was obviously rock and roll influenced, but he had absorbed. Uh, the traditional approach, you know, thoroughly and excellently, but he combined them. I mean, we're not, we're not talking Dylan going electric rock and roll in 1965, but his phrasing was, 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 was rock and roll based, you know, besides traditional based, it was a mixture of the two. And I heard him do the first time I heard him sing, and I realized that these two, my two big musical loves were actually, you know, like 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 a single entity, not not two things that, that, that could never, 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 you know, meet and that was a that was a basic epiphany. And uh, the one I had after that was that um, 
I, I thought, well, what if you can take the Ultimate Mythology guys and magically bring them to the prison, bring them to 1963, and have them at their, you know, they, they'd be the same age you were in the 20s, you know, which meant that the old guy would be, you know, the old guy they make would be about 50. And, uh, and then what if they were exposed to rock and roll? And how would they, if they chose to, let their music be influenced by it, and what would their music be like then? And, and, and that idea was about, you know, 20 times more interesting than let's try to reproduce 1933, you know? In terms of, in terms of your, your, your singing style, um, was, was that something that developed when, when you were playing the, the, the traditional stuff, or was that a part of that kind of shift towards rock and roll? I mean, certainly, certainly it's unique, and, and I don't know i don't know how well it might have fit you know in those those records from the 30s or 40s well it's weird i mean my first exposure to country music was during world war ii um with the crossover hits um pistol pack and mama and there's a star spangled banner waving somewhere and then um and around 1947 i heard um uh Joe Stafford uh, did this thing where she recorded a hillbilly version of Temptation, you know, the 30s pop song. Mm. Uh, and she, she recorded it under the name of Cinderella G. Stump. <laughs> she sang it like um, uh, in, this, in this totally nailed Mabel Carter voice, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a, a little bit more tongue in cheek, um, you know, a little, a little bit more, you know, like like faux hillbilly, you know. But but basically, she had the she had the Mabel Carter sound down, you know, like like no vibrato and that, you know, you came out alone. Uh, and uh, the orchestration was kind of like Bob Wills ish, you know. Mm-hmm. That 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 song completely. I mean, when I when I heard when I heard her do that song. It, it, it absolutely, you know, like, 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 you know, gave me, gave me shivers, shivers, and, you know, it just, it just, just totally wiped me out. You, you go to YouTube and you go, you know, T-E-M-P-T-A-Y-S-H-U-N by Joe Stepford slash Cinderella G. Stump. And, and, and uh, there's actually like, like, like a video of it, you know. Mm-hmm. But, so is that, that Western swing style? Uh, well, actually, it was a, uh, Carter family singing approach with the Western swing orchestration. Hmm. Uh, so kind of like a, a, a really, a really well done. I mean, like, like it was, it was kind of like, it was mocking, you know, it was like making fun of this hick stuff, but it was doing so in a really well brought off and almost, you know, like, like, like there was, <laughs> There was an element of respect in there, even if it was kind of backhanded, you know. Um, anyway, so I was um, used to the idea from childhood of the of that way of singing, you know. And a friend of mine in high school, um, uh, when I graduated from high school, um, my my present was a, a tape recorder, reel to reel, mm-hmm. you know. And um, I sang this parody of Rock Island Line about the. Oklahoma Avenue bus line, which is the bus that I took to school. And um, 
I'd forgotten I'd done this, but uh, I'm at I, this, this my friend at a high school reunion, like you know, decades, decades later, and uh, I'm basically singing in this faux hillbilly voice, like like, like a 90, you know, which is kind of like 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 the way I sing. So like, although I'm you know like 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 a Yankee boy, um, I had this affinity towards that kind of singing, um, which you know goes back to you know when I was like. Four or five years old. Uh, you, you you mentioned that uh, it was it was sort of it was a, a parody, and certainly certainly humor was always played a pretty pretty big role in in your music. W- was there a sense, you know, amongst the amongst the older generations that maybe you were almost mocking this? I mean, some people thought I was, you know, like occasionally I'd, I'd find someone that that thought I was like 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 making fun of it in a in a derogatory way and um i would you know explain that you know that was absolutely not the case you know <laughs> this shit was fun also like like um uh like spike jones was, was an early hero mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. Spike jones's uh songs also would give me that 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 shivery tingle you know feeling when i heard them you know that just completely like like got into my wiring and you know pushed all the buttons i really like the you know the, the, the goofiness is the part of the music, as well as the fact that uh, the old Smith anthology guys, I mean, you know, like Doc Smith's champion horsehair pullers, I mean, you know, mm-hmm. that was deeply goofy shit. I mean, some of it was like, like, like serious, like the murder ballads were, of course, serious, but like, there was an element of, you know, like, like Dave Macon, you know, mm-hmm. I can't say, you know, I mean, you know, and uh, that, that, that goofiness I felt was like, like a tremendous strength the music was this attempt to to kind of crossbreed folk music and 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 rock and roll was that um were, were you trying to make it a little more commercial i mean were you, were you trying to to appeal to to a wider audience no i was trying to appeal to myself mm-hmm. i was i was um um basically thought like you know hey this is if i added some of this to some of this you know, it'll, it'll get me off better you yeah. know uh, no, it, 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 it was totally a not an other directed artistic choice at all. Was there ever was there ever a, a push towards that with with the band? I mean, certainly you got a, a taste of that with the the Easy Rider soundtrack. Well, that was a total fluke. I mean, they just the guy happened to hear the song on the radio and happened to decide that it would like like work. You know, mm-hmm. um, no, we, ne- we never really. Um, I mean, the most. Uh, the good taste of Thomas was like an attempt to do, to do to make a you know like a an album that would appeal to more people, um, as well as the second Bottle Caps album, The People's Republic of Rock and Roll, was like 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 an attempt to um, do something that would maybe have an appeal that went beyond my teeny tiny fan base. Mm. Neither of those records did any, you know, better than the ones that were, you know, than the other ones. So, you know, like, like yeah. it didn't, you know, my efforts toward the greater, you know, commercialization were fruitless. Were, were there was there a case of um, of sort of people coming to the shows after that after that soundtrack? Obviously, that was a, a hugely successful soundtrack. Uh, were there people coming to the shows expecting one thing and getting something totally different? 
Nah. It, um, I think the number of people that, you know, like, came to oh, oh, the Holy Mobile Runners, I heard them in, in, in Easy Rider, let's go see them. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I mean, um, if there are any people like that, I'm sure that they measured in, you know, maybe, you know. Yeah. Were, were you just, were you, were you growing, were you, you know, when you talk, when you talk about trying to appeal to a large audience, was it just getting tired of, of playing to the same people over and over again? Oh no! I, I really, I mean, like, like, like when when the rounders formed, um, I had a feeling that uh, you know something massive, new and amazing was going to happen to popular music, and of course, like folk music was a viable thing, you know, on a pop level, uh, in in the early '60s. You know, I mean, you know, Peter Paul and Mary and Lazarus were selling like 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 big numbers, and um, um. I really thought that uh, that the rounders were going to be this big, amazing crossover thing. Hmm. Uh, I, I, I was definitely right about one thing that, that something amazing was going to happen that would change everything, but it turned out to be the Beatles. <laughs> you, you, so, so you, you thought that you guys were uh, there was some potential to be what the Beatles became. Well, no, but I felt we had the potential to be um, a lot bigger than we ended up being. <laughs> But um, Weber kind of was sabotaging things by 1965 when we broke up. In fact, once the Beatles came out and he realized that we had a chance of some kind of moderate success, that's when he started basically fucking up more and hmm. refusing to work on new songs. And when we'd perform, he would tirade about how sick he was. He got out of sight. He something new. And, and, yeah. and, and then after, okay, well, let's work on some new songs, which... And working on a new song was playing it three times, and then it was, and then it was ready to like like record or perform. You know, was was the was the work with the the uh, the Fugs was that a, a attempt to to break out of that a little bit to to just to to not have to play the same songs over and over again? No, I mean with the Fugs it was um, like Weber knew, knew knew them before I did. And hey, you should go over and see Sanders and Tully had this group, and they wrote these songs like Bullton Clit and Coca Cola Douche, and you should hear them. Well, yeah, let's go and hear them. And it was like you know the three of them, and and um, you know there's um, yeah, Ken Weaver was playing a hand drum, but like um, you know uh, that was the only playing. Well, actually, we uh, uh, Sanders had a little a little toy kitty organ. But uh, I volunteered us for their backup band because, like, you know, like, like one, um, you know, hey, this, <laughs> this is, this looks like fun. I wanna, I wanna, I wanna become a part of this, this, this really cool, fun thing. I mean, like, like the Fugs back then was like, you know, the, <laughs> the world's greatest sandbox to play in. You know, <laughs> I could play with them when I could play with Weber, which in retrospect was stupid because I just didn't want to have anything to do with Weber anymore at that point. Yeah. Um, so, so what, 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 what came next after that? You know, uh, uh, did, were you just, were you searching around for, for, for people to, to play around with? Obviously, you know, you, you, you had had some notice success. So people, uh, you know, certainly people in New York knew who you were. You know, I couldn't, uh, all the people I wanted to play with wanted to be solo musicians. And what made me was when I broke up with Weber, um, and Tony and my, my girlfriend, 
uh, started talking to me about music, and um, she hadn't before that because she thought that she didn't want to interfere with like the the guy's thing. She felt it wasn't like uh, the proper feminine, you know, you know, role. Although she engineered, you know, ever working together, it was basically her idea, and the way she did it was she arranged for us to basically meet, and her plan was for us to have the idea of playing together, um, you, know, you know, like like one of those, you know, like 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 all, uh, my idea to make this happen is to make the other people think it's their idea, you know, tricking you into thinking that you were the ones who came up with with the idea. Right, right, yeah, and it worked perfectly. <laughs> Were you I, I were, were you put off by by Weber the first time you met him? I mean, you, you seem to have a, sort of a, a well, free, freaky impression of him. Well, I was put off by Weber before I met him. I heard all these horrible stories about him, you know, and then and then Weber did this, and then Weber did this, and you know, like like he, I thought it was you know, he was you know, this this speed freak that you know, and I also I, I had no idea. Like he played guitar. I thought, well, oh, play, okay, playing guitar. I had no idea he was this genius guitar player that 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 you know totally nailed you know country blues picking you know mm-hmm. and when I finally met him uh I mean he was nineteen i was um twenty three and uh for one thing, he looked like this idealized version of little Abner, you know I was expecting this to be like scary looking you know person you know uh and um my immediate impression was it's my long lost yeah. brother I never had, you know? And, um, the first thing he did was like, um, you know, took some amphetamine and started playing music. And the very first thing he yeah. played together, like, like it was just totally, you know, as if we've been doing it forever. And it was just automatic and instant. And we played for like three days nonstop. <laughs> that was the amphetamines. It sounds like. Definitely. <laughs> So, so, so drugs were, uh, I mean, drugs were, it sounds like instrumental from the, from the get go. Uh, well, not from the get go. I mean, like, like, well, like from, uh, from the get go of the rounders at least. Oh yeah, definitely. Totally. Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, when I started, when I got to New York and started, formed a band with, with, um, you know, a couple of people in, um, early 60, um, I mean, even though I couldn't play much, uh, I could sing, you know, like, like, like I knew the words of the songs, like, like often, you know, like even, even now in, in folk, music, folk music circles, there's a lot of players, but there aren't that many people that actually know all the words to a given song and can sing loud, you know, and can sing loud enough to at least carry over the instruments. And when we started playing, you know, like the three of us, um, uh, I found that, you know, a couple of beers let me sing in a, in a less inhibited manner. So, like originally, um, alcohol was like like an, a music enabling you know drug, and uh, then uh, after that, um, um, you know, pot and uh, and speed. Uh, pot, for instance, uh, slowed down time. Hmm. You know, and when I was playing like 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 on pot. Um, I had more time to consider and do things. It seemed, it felt like, you know, because of the way it altered time. And this was like um, um, a definite, um, you know, <laughs> aid. Mm-hmm. The, the other, uh, my other take on pot is that uh, it suggests the 
uh, more interesting note choices hmm. than not, as well as the fact that, uh, especially like like doing it with other people, it's 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 easier for a you know group to be established. Like this one time, like I was playing with a couple guys in a band, and we started jamming, and it was like you know kind of. Uh, you know, fitful and haphazard, and oh fuck, let's smoke some pot. And then immediately we started jamming, and it was suddenly like, like, like right in the pocket. <laughs> I mean, just just in 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 this completely um, over the top, like like flipping a massive switch way that was like obvious to you know, to all of us. Yeah. You know? So it sounds like it almost uh, uh, pot specifically. It sounds like it played a, a role in helping you redefine a traditional music absolutely oh by the way uh, i was considered I was, I was puzzled by by the heroin jazz musician thing i thought like jesus mm-hmm. well I, I i only like i started heroin a couple of times back in the 60s and uh it just made me throw up for like a day and a half and wanted nothing to do with it and i i didn't understand i mean like i see people shoot up and nod you know what the fuck i mean like how is that going to help your music it's just like you're you know like and uh, in the nineties, I read this book called um, um, what was the book called? Oh, Complete Mastery or something like that. It was a, it was a, a jazz holiday improvised book, uh, Effortless Mastery. Yeah, it was the book. And the guy said that with jazz musicians, um, what happens is that, uh, like speaking personally. This guy's like, I would play and I would be thinking, you know, like, shit, I, I don't sound like Miles Davis, I don't like Coltrane, I don't sound as good as I did last Saturday, it's not like shit, it's not like shit, you know. And uh, in other words, the guy's saying that uh, he and many jazz musicians have this negative voice that's going on while they're playing about how, how inadequate, you know, mm-hmm. uh, what you're doing is. And... Uh, these people um, often find that when they shoot up, that voice shuts the fuck up, hmm. and they're able to play without without this, this this self-censoring, you know, negative, you know, like yammering in their head. And uh, I mean, like, like, uh, okay, <laughs> now I understand. That, that, that that's I mean I'm talking about like 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 another another musical path than the one I've chosen but sure. but but very interesting detail which clarified an awful lot yeah what about uh you know obviously psychedelics were beyond pot um you know there's there's been a lot said about that I mean did that did that end up um did that end up informing informing the music as well Totally, but not 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 so much. Well, on it. I mean, like like I mean, like you, you, you take a good a good you know dose of peyote, and I mean, you pick up a guitar, and and, and suddenly your your fingerboard is like <laughs> about three feet deep, and uh, it's it's difficult to um, you know to play. I mean, on the other hand, like like a small dose of hallucinogens, like 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 uh, is is a, a real um, helps, well, uh, I think of it as being, uh, um, uh, the field, like, 
you know, like when, when, uh, I mean, uh, the general word for this is, is the zone. When, mm-hmm. when one is in the zone, suddenly, um, everything is effortless and it's almost harder to do something that doesn't work than to do something that we're like, like, like when I, uh, uh, the reason I thought of it being a field is it was like, like, like a magnetic field. Suddenly, uh, you'd be in this, sort of con- controlled by, you know, like outside of yourself vibrations that like I would try to play a wrong note in a bad way. You know, like I would specifically like make an effort to like, you know, play wrong. And no matter what I would do, it would work. Like I couldn't, you know, like, like when, when, when it would be like this, I, 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 I couldn't even find a wrong note no matter how hard I tried. You know? But are, are you talking about are you talking about in the moment when you're listening to yourself? I mean, if you if you you know you you sound great at, while you're playing it and while you're you know on whatever you're on, but when you go back and and listen to it, it still it still sounds good. Yeah, definitely. Really? Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> so, like you know, when 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 I when I um the the, the latest album uh which is gonna be out in Official releases in is in January, and the Ether Frolic Mob, which is a ten-person aggregation. Um, and uh, one thing we did was um, uh, uh, Golden Slippers, hmm. and um, when we were playing it, um, the you know fourth, fifth go around, I started doing some really serious fucking around, like like up the neck on the E string, and uh. I mean, when you're going, you know, like re- re- really, like like swooping, you know, like 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 you 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 up and down, uh, and um, it was you know like totally intuitive and you know like like I I I I, I use pot to record, you know, um, and when I played it back, I'm like, fuck, this is great, <laughs> like those those you know those crazy swooping notes are you know like they were. They worked. They totally worked. You know. How do you? You said you said it's a it's a big uh, it's a big collective of, of musicians. Is uh, how do you how do you find people to, to collaborate with now? I mean, obviously, things have changed over the years, and certainly it's not quite as much of a, a, a cafe scene as, as as there was. I mean, I saw you you play a, a few years ago at the sidewalk, so there's there's some semblance of that. But you know, what's what what's the collaboration like now? Well. Um, the old system was, well, the joke was every band has a, uh, Christy love and a Mike love, like <laughs> two, two, two different kinds of, of total dickwads, you know? <laughs> and the old system was like, well, you know, he's a, he's a real shit, he's a real dick, you know, like he's a real asshole, but he's a great guitar player. <laughs> And uh, or also, or, uh, but, but but the girls really love him. You know, they come to see him. You know, and that was Weber for you. Well, I mean, just just uh, uh, that wasn't Weber. Weber was kind of like 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 um, a whole different model. But just the idea that um, people would put up with character flaws, you know, because uh, it was difficult. The idea that you know, I could find enough people without character flaws was kind of like, you know, yeah, tell me about it. You're good luck with that one. Mm-hmm. But um, I was playing with this guy in uh, the early aughts who was a great player and had great ideas, but uh, he had 
anger management issues and ego problems. And, and finally it got, you know, like, um, he wanted to take a sabbatical from Yankel because he was angry about all the horrible things that I'd been doing. And uh, I thought, hey, you know, like I'm playing with all these other people and they aren't dickheads like he is, you know. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I realized suddenly that if I'm not playing with him, I'm playing with all these people that are just great, you know. Uh, and the idea that it was possible to like like have people that are that are like great players willing to try anything um uh not alcoholics not you know serious drug problems uh not um uh you know uh you y- you like to hang with them when you weren't playing music because they were like like great to talk to, you know. But that, but that took you until the aughts to really kind of nail that down. Uh, it took until the aughts until people like this achieved critical mass. Mm. Um, the percentage of of uh, good musicians who were, you know, uh, had character flaws was um, quite substantial. Mm-hmm. As and um, the number of capable musicians that don't have character flaws um, uh, has been, you know, growing and swelling. And um, I realized that, um, well, here I was in a situation that was like that. Like everyone, everyone is, 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 is really um, a joy to be around and play with. But these Uh, are, these are people who you would meet just sort of playing out and about. Um, yeah, I ran into like here and there through the various weird like like John Cohen's in the band uh, from the North City Ramblers, and um, my daughter's in the band, mm. and um, I, I have this ongoing project of recording a song for every year of the 20th century, and um, with Mark Bingham, mm-hmm. um, when we were recording in '04, um, his niece. Jeannie Schofield, you know, like, like showed up to visit him. And, um, someone said, Hey, you know, she, you know, her and her girlfriend are great background singers. You should have them, have them sing background on something. So, okay, yeah, I'll do that. And they did this really great job. And I found out that, um, you know, like the other girl was kind of, uh, um, well, Jeannie actually lived in New York. So, um, we started working, we, we've been working together since, since 04. Jeannie is amazing and wonderful and great. Um, Eli Smith, He's a guy that um, uh, has the Down Home Radio website. Um, uh, geez, I met him. I think at um, at um, uh, at Jalopy, I, 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 or, or I, I forget exactly how we met, but we met like around you know oh three oh four. And um, Walker Shepard is Sam Shepard's son. Hmm. When he got to New York. Uh, I said, you know, when he moved back to New York, he said, hey, let's get together and play music. He said, can I bring my kid? Yeah. Kid. And Walker was 17 at the time and, and been playing banjo for seven months and could do shit that I couldn't do <laughs> and had this amazing voice. I mean, like he really sounded like, like, like an old Hitler guy, you know, and, and, I mean, like, I mean, he sounds like, like, kind of, um, he really sounds like something from a hundred years ago. And, um, um, Jane Gilday, um, was a friend of Weber's when Weber moved back to Bucks County, and I met her through uh, Weber, 
And um, let's see who else is there. Um, there's uh, new members, two new members, Eli Hetko, who uh, I was recording some jingles for some radio station wanted jingles, and um, asked my daughter to bring some of her friends to sing on them. And one of the friends brought this guy Eli, banjo player singer, and we really hit it off. And now he's in the band. And um, Hubby Jenkins, who I met at Jalopy, uh, mostly plays with the Carolina Chocolate Drops right now, but, but uh, when he's in town, we play together. And who am I leaving out? Um, uh, Jackson Lynch, who plays with um, um, Walker and Eli in a band called the Down, uh, Downhill Strugglers. Um, so... You know, like I, I met them, like like uh, met them and met other, met some of them through them, through Simon, through them, and you know, like 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 you know, went through one daughter, one is my daughter. You know. <laughs> yeah, the off the 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 offspring of the last generation. So, and and we can actually close on on this because I've, I've I've had you for a while, but um, <clears throat> you, you know, you mentioned the 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 Ots is kind of that 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 breaking point for you for realizing that you could just kind of collaborate with people that you wanted to collaborate with. And I'm wondering if the fact that over the years, you know, you kept coming back to the rounders was symptomatic of that or whether there was just sort of something there in that collaboration that kept bringing you back. Well, the rounders is actually, and we're talking actually seven people, you know, Mm -hmm. and although, uh, Weber's refused to speak to me since, um, uh, over almost almost ten years now. Um, well, you know they have Moisey album, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, 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 it was it was a East Coast West Coast you know uh, extended family collaboration, and I've been wanting to do that again you know for for decades, and we finally pulled it together um, last year and. Um, Got a bunch of East Coast people and West Coast people together in in Portland to have Moisey too, and um, uh, Robin and Dave from the Rounders were you know like two of the guys in that. So like I'm I'm uh, uh, Robin and Dave are the two um, Rounders that I'm that I'm still playing with ongoingly the most, um, and I mean they're they're like you know um, you know close old friends who I love playing with, but. Uh, uh, we've had rounder reunions, but they're kind of, you know, like I'm kind of, um, there won't be any chance to really work out new stuff. It'll be like, you know, going over the same old stuff again, you know, and I'm, and I'm, I'm, I mean, it's fun to play the old songs, but, uh, I much more enjoy doing, you know, uh, you know, new stuff and, and, you know, like throwing some of the old stuff in there because like, you know, um, you know, fans want to hear it and it's, a nice thing to do to fans, you know, like here, here's, we know you want to hear these, this one here, so we're gonna here. and it's, um, and it's a challenge to like, uh, to, to do an old song you've done like umpity umpity times and to do it and to really be into it and do it fresh is like, uh, you know, it's a cool artistic challenge mm-hmm. as opposed to, uh, oh God, I gotta do this fucking thing again, you know, those are two ways you can think of, <laughs> you can think of, think of Great. Well, th- thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Welcome. Okay. Well, well th- uh, th- thanks again, and, and, and have a good night. You too. Okay. Bye. Bye. Bye.